Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Hey, this is Brett. We're taking a break from a new episode today, so we're rebroadcasting episode number 768, Become a Focused Monotasker with Thatcher Wine. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back on Wednesday with a brand new episode. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Write an email while on a Zoom call, talking on the phone while walking, scrolling through social media while watching a movie. In both our work and our play, we're all doing more and more multitasking. Doing two things at once makes us feel as if we're being more efficient and getting more done. But my guest today would say that all this task juggling actually makes us less productive while diminishing the quality of our work and stressing our minds. And we'd be better off curbing our multitasking in favor of monotasking. His name is Thatcher Wine, and he's the author of the book, The 12 Monotasks. Do one thing at a time to do everything better. Today on the show, Thatcher explains the illusions around multitasking and the benefits of monotasking. That is, bringing our full focus to a single task at a time. We discuss why reading is a foundational part of becoming a monotasker, and then get into some of the other activities Thatcher recommends monotasking, including walking, listening, traveling, commuting, and thinking. Thatcher argues that doing things like listening to a podcast while cleaning your house isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that you may want to try stripping everything away from your daily tasks except the primary tasks themselves to observe the resulting effect and strengthen your monotasking muscles and rebuild your attention span. Once you've experimented with doing a task alone, you may decide to layer back in the second activity or maybe decide you actually like giving it your all. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is monotask. All right, Thatcher Wine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here. So you got a book out called The 12 Monotask. Do one thing at a time to do everything better. So in this book, you make a case for monotasking. And I think to understand what that is, it's important to talk about what the opposite of monotasking is, and that's multitasking. People have probably been multitasking since time immemorial, but it's, it wasn't until, I'd say, 20, 30 years ago that it really became a thing in our culture. And in the book, you kind of do a little cultural history of multitasking. When did multitasking become a thing in our popular culture? It's a great question. So pretty much, if you think of our computers and how long they've been around, that's basically how long we've really thought about multitasking as a way of living, right? So computers were invented. Well, the, the term was first used like in the 1960s to refer to a, an IBM computer and how it could do multiple things at one time. Amazing. It, the computer can multitask. And then as people started getting personal computers, mostly in the 80s, and then got connected to the internet in the 90s, and we got these cell phones and smartphones in the 2000s, and, and now you know we all know where we are today, all of our devices do all these different things a lot of things at one time. 
And since people have invented computers, we kind of project onto them, you know, if we made them do this multitasking, maybe we can do the same thing. Plus, at the same time, you know, life has just gotten busier in general. Our to-do lists are really long. There are a lot of demands, financial, societal pressure, social media pressure, FOMO, fear of missing out. And so we just tend to take on more and more and more and think we can do it like our devices can. And when you were you know, exploring and researching this book, I mean, did, were you able to find where people tend to try to multitask the most? Like what tasks do they try to do at the same time the most? That's a great question. I mean, I think if you just look around in general, like I'm, in a, I'm a very experiential person. The book does integrate a lot of research and a little bit of neuroscience. But, you know, my point, a lot of it is just like, you don't have to look very far to see people multitasking all the time. You know, if you go out to a restaurant and somebody's sitting by themselves, or even if they're with a few friends, like they're all on their phones a lot of the time. I live in Colorado. And, you know, unfortunately, when I drive to work or bike or go for a walk, I see people phone on their phones while driving all the time. So it tends to be this kind of like perma, permanent culture of doing more than one thing at a time, a lot of times involving your phone. I think we've seen over the past couple of years, you know, with the pandemic and the transition to more people working at home, everybody who does that can relate to the feeling of just having lots of browser windows like you open and doing multiple things at a time, being on a Zoom call, answering an email, your kids come in and say they're hungry for lunch, your dog wants to go for a walk. It's multitasking. Not all of it's dangerous multitasking, like texting and driving. Some of it's perfectly harmless, like folding laundry while listening to a podcast. Some people might be doing that now. That's totally fine. A lot of my point in the book is about like bringing some awareness to, is it within your own control that you are multitasking? Did you decide to do that? Or did you know social media tempt you to? Some notification on your phone take you out of what you should have been doing. Things like that. Yeah, I, I imagine the the pandemic with the Zoom has really increased the amount of multitasking. I've been on Zoom calls where you've heard the tappity tappity of keys on the other end while you're talking mm-hmm. to somebody. It's like, okay, that guy's answering emails while he's talking to me. He's probably not really listening. One of the tasks in the 12 monotasks is listening in the book. And I go through 12 different tasks and I know we'll talk about a few of them today. But one of my tips, I guess I thought of after the book, <laughs> is basically listen as if you're recording a podcast. What would you like? I'm not tapping on my keys. I can't pay attention to anything else besides our conversation. You know, so if you're trying to elevate your work or your relationship or your, you know, your conversation with your kids and really pay attention to what they're saying and not saying, listen like you're recording a podcast. You don't have to do it every single conversation all day, but it helps you really bring your full attention to one thing at a time and do it well. So the reason we multitask is to get more done. What does the research say about that? Are there Does that actually happen? And are there downsides to multitasking? It doesn't happen. And yes, there are downsides. Very definitive research has been done on this. You make more mistakes when you multitask. You don't get as much done as if you had you know, done one thing at a time, then moved on to the next thing. You think you're going to get more done, but you actually end up feeling more stressed and overwhelmed. So you, you develop, basically our brains are only capable of doing one thing at a time. Studies have been done where there basically are 2% of the population who can be considered super taskers. Those people can do like two cognitive tasks at a time. Most people can fold the laundry and listen to a podcast. And for the rest of us, the other 98%, like I think it's okay that we can't do more than one thing at a time. Our brains were built 
So you're like, yes, pay attention to like the dangers out there in the world. You know, in old days, it was like a wild animal or, you know, some sort of threat to your human existence. These days, it's very different. So a lot of things get our attention that aren't life-altering matters. And when we try to pay attention to more than one thing at a time, like typing out that email response while half paying attention to a Zoom call, you don't do either of them well. You make more mistakes, it takes longer, and you get stressed out because you, you aren't getting things done and you just have this cognitive bottleneck. You're not quite sure why you're stressed out, not feeling good, but it's probably because your attention is spread so thin. Yeah, that's an important point you said that we, we can actually only do one thing at a time. So when we think we're multitasking, what we're doing is just task switching back and forth over and over again between one task and the next. Yeah, so a few definitions that are really helpful. You're exactly right. So most people, when they think of multitasking, what they're actually doing is task switching. You do one thing, you then you do another thing, and then you go back and forth and back and forth. The studies have been done that show it takes about 20 minutes for your brain really to come back to from one thing to another. And if you're really fast switching back and forth, what happens is like you're not giving yourself the 20 minutes to reset, focus on that presentation you're working on or that conversation with your kids. And so you're not doing a good job and it's taking longer as a result. So back to the definitions, yeah, so that's task switching, which we think is multitasking. There's also primary tasking and background tasking. So that would be the example of, you know, you're listening to a podcast in the background while folding laundry in the foreground or vice versa. It's usually like a very automated, repetitive thing that you know how to do. And if you make the conscious decision to combine those things, that's fine. Generally, we can do those things well. There are some people who can't even do either one. And I think that's great too. I mean, if you're aware of your own abilities to pay attention and monotask, then you can get through life, I think, much better and, and figure out where to put your attention and focus. All right. So multitasking, it causes more errors, actually sometimes make things take longer than they really should. And you, you quote Cal Newport in the book. We've had him on the podcast talking about his idea of deep work. And he makes that point too. He drives that point home. When you try to multitask, it actually just makes the work crappier oftentimes. And then also just, just that back and forth switching, it stresses you out. And that's why a lot of people, I don't know, you hear a lot of people talking like, I'm just feeling like overwhelmed. Then they're like, but I don't really do anything. Why am I feeling overwhelmed? And it's likely mm -hmm. all that task switching they've been doing throughout the day between their smartphone and their computer and their kids and drive. It's, it, that's what's exhausting you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm a huge Cal Newport fan and his work has been very influential um, in my work and both as how I run my business, which is called Juniper Books, and just as a small business entrepreneur and manager and creative, like how to focus and get things done. But then it's also, you know, influenced how I think about monotasking and the concepts of, especially when it relates to technology and kind of practicing digital minimalism in order to you know, wean yourself off your devices and then reclaim your ability to, to get your deep work done. I should say a lot of, I think, the pressure that people feel that you mentioned to do more than one thing at a time that results in you know, being overwhelmed and not getting things done. Like There's just this glorification of multitasking and always doing more in our society these days. And then you add on the technology, which convinces you that you're good at it. You can do it. You know, gives you just enough notifications and feedback that like you keep going and you think you can do it all. 
But, you know, if you look at where our time goes and how happy we are these days and how that tracks against, you know, the increase of technology in society, it's, you know, it's not a sustainable equation for the future. So I think we have to reclaim our ability to, to focus this way. Yeah, it's really hard. I, I think a lot of people have heard the research that multitasking isn't effective, but I know that stuff, but I still struggle to let go of the idea. Like I still want to do as much as I can at the same time. And I think that goes back, we had Oliver Berkman on the podcast a couple months ago, talking about his book, 4,000 Weeks. And he makes this interesting case that a lot of, it's just part of being human. Like we we're able to think about infinite things that we can do but we're finite beings at the same time. Like we can only do so much. And he makes this case, a lot of productivity, you know, tactics that we've developed. It's, it's trying to make us, trying to make our finite selves into infinite selves or be able to accomplish all those infinite things. And he says, you know, you kind of have to resign yourself that you are not infinite. So you have to just be okay with doing, getting as much done as you can in a day and not freaking out about trying to get it all done. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Oliver's book too. So yeah, I mean, I think we have to acknowledge the realities and that's a lot of what his book is about that, you know, yes, you want to do more and more, but we are humans. There are only 24 hours in the day. And what the solution to living a happier, more fulfilling life is not to just always be doing more. Um, You have to be realistic. And so- a lot of what I bring it back to in, in the 12 monotasks is about the present moment. And in each moment, you can only be doing one thing at a time. You can make right. it look like you're multitasking. You may aspire to you know, get more done, make more money, have more friends, you know, more followers, whatever. But in each individual moment, like that's where everything really happens. And so if you choose to do one thing in that moment... That's really, I think, the key to productivity and happiness. So, okay, the downsides of multitasking is taking longer on stuff, doing stuff not as well, feeling stressed out. I imagine the benefits of monotasking is are is the opposite of those things. Yeah. So I, I think of it in you know three or four kind of key benefits of monotasking. One is you get more done. Just overall, you boost your productivity. Second is you decrease your stress level. So that feeling of being overwhelmed and not getting anything done leads to you know, less stress if you monotask instead of multitasking. The third thing is you, you increase your happiness. And that, a lot of that comes from improving your relationships with other people, being more present in the moment and with the people you either work with or your family, if you're friends, and just being more connected to everybody, not being you know, half paying attention all the time. So that's what it's really all about, the productivity, the stress, and the happiness. Happiness. I imagine, do you still struggle with multitasking, even though you've written the book on monotasking? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I say, you know, I wrote it largely for myself out of my own experience, like how I went through some very distracting things, like in addition to all the distractions that we face that we've talked about as far as technology and work and just keeping up with the pace of life. I went through cancer treatment a few years ago and a divorce and putting my business back together after going through those things. And I really had to kind of sit down and figure out like, how do I navigate my way through all this, continue to do good work, be productive, creative, successful, be a good father, 
And, you know, how have I done it in the past? Like even before I went through those things. And so the philosophy very much came out of that, but it hasn't taken away the problem. Like it's just made me more aware of when I'm multitasking versus monotasking. And therefore, how do I feel about it? And I think it's, it's made a huge improvement in my life. I say for everyone, like it's not about achieving some sort of monotasking sainthood, right? It's not like you're going to get to this enlightened level and all the problems are going to go away. It's, it's more about having an awareness that this is something you're going to have to face like in every moment and definitely into the future as the future gets more distracting. There's going to be more technology, more pressure of every kind to re, you know, pay attention to things that are important. So it's good to build the, what I call the monotasking muscles now so that you have them for everything you need to do today and into the future. Okay, so in the book, you highlight 12 tasks that you think are right for monotasking and help you build those monotasking muscles. And the first one is reading. Why do you start off with that? So a lot of my thinking about reading goes back a really long time, and it's very connected to the work that I do at Juniper Books, where we curate book sets and book collections for for clients around the world and try to give people more and more reasons to buy books and keep books in their home and, and read books. And especially as I was going through cancer treatment, I was thinking like, why do I do what I do? And how can I, you know, should I do it on the other side of these health issues? And why is it good for the world? Like, what's my mission in life? So I really started thinking about reading in a broader sense than just book selling, for example. And I think books are just inherently good for us as human beings. Not only are they great for like learning new things and being entertained, but they also strengthen our ability to pay attention. So when you read for 20 minutes or however long you read for, you get back a strengthened attention span because you gave your attention, like it all went into one single point of focus on the page. And I am a big believer in printed books because I think we all look at screens too much. And I think the experience of reading a printed book just feels different. Having an object in your hands, feeling you know where you are in the book, how far through it you are, where things happen on the page. So I thought a lot about reading, why it's good for the world. I researched you know, really dedicated readers in the world, like Oprah Winfrey, Warren Buffett. And I don't think it's a coincidence that some of the most successful people in the world are also really big readers. They, their ability to pay attention and be productive is enhanced by their reading habits. It's not just that they know more stuff. So, so I put you know, all these things together and I thought about technology and smartphones and I thought reading a book is kind of the opposite of a smartphone. Reading a book strengthens your attention. Looking at your smartphone fragments it, makes you think you can multitask and do lots of things at one time. And so that's kind of where I thought of the definition of a monotask to begin with was reading a book. And then I expanded that to think about, well, what if we took that same approach, that focus that we bring to reading and applied it to other everyday activities? And then I you know, started looking into and writing about walking, listening, sleeping, thinking, and how just if you give those 100% of your attention, can you do them better? And can they give you something back in the same way that books and reading give you back your strength and attention span and ability to pay attention to everything in life and do it all better. 
So you don't you don't just have to read all the time. <laughs> you can do any or all the twelve monotasks. No, I, I think reading is a great foundation. It's a great exercise to strengthen that monotasking muscle because, especially paper books. And I think the thing that makes reading difficult today is that we try to do it on our screens. And I found, and I think they've done research. Like Nicholas Carr has done research on this. When we when we consume text via a screen, we have a tendency to skim more. And you're just not as focused. But if I have like a paper book or like a paper magazine, that's all. That's the only thing you can focus on. You can't go anywhere else, and it really forces you to stick with the reading. If you're reading on a smartphone, there's always that temptation to like switch apps or go to the next browser, click this link, and it doesn't allow you to get really focused. Yeah. So Nicholas, you're you're three for three. You mentioned three of my favorite authors. <laughs> um, Nicholas Carr and I have had some great conversations over the years about the value of printed books. And, and I have an excerpt that he wrote in my in the 12 monotasks as well. And a lot of it, yeah, it does come down to that like physical, tactile relationship you have with the printed page that's very different from the screen and how your brain, you know, creates a physical tactile or physical map of what's happening in the book, draws connections between things, and the information tends to sink in more than what we read on the screen. Plus, you know, I'm a big believer and basically built a whole career out of like what your books do when you're not reading them. So they they sit on your shelves and they tell a story, even without opening them and reading what's happening on the pages, they tell a story across your bookshelves. And they were every time you walk by them or see them in the Zoom background or see somebody else's books when you go to their house or see it on a screen, you learn about them and kind of their relationship to the world through what they're interested in. They may not have read all those books, but that's those are the subjects that interest them. That's the story that they want to tell. So I think books just have this storytelling capability and we have a different relationship to them than just what the digital version of the content shows us on the screen. No, I, I think it's fast. No, I agree with that. I uh, I prefer physical books over digital books. And what I like about it is, you know, I've got bookshelves all over in our house, and I like being able to walk by, and then just like the spine catches my eye for whatever reason, and then I pull it out. And I, oh, there's this new bit, or here's a refresher of something that I read a long time ago. I'm glad I picked this up. I notice I've got, you know, a couple hundred books on my Kindle. I never think about the books on my Kindle. In fact, I forget which books I have on my Kindle. They're down like this digital black hole that I can never access again because it's not there in front of me physically. You, you know, you never, I don't know how many people are going to cocktail parties these days, but you don't go to a cocktail party and say, hey, can I take a look at your Kindle and right. see what you what's on your reading list and then decide what to talk about? It doesn't work that way. So yeah, books are really fun, whether it's you or somebody else seeing them, just to to see them on the shelves and and pick one up randomly. I do that all the time. It's fun. So how do you uh, train your brain for monotask reading? I mean, what's if someone hasn't monotasked reading in a while and their brain's all, you know, scattered from consuming content on their phone, what's a good way to start with that? It's hard. And I and I think you first have to acknowledge that it is hard and that it's different from what we've been used to doing, looking at our phones and not having to sit with a little bit of, you know, what may feel like boredom and silence and quiet for a little time that reading brings. But those are the benefits. So at first they might seem unfamiliar and different, and that's a good thing. But I think, you know, you have to start wherever you are 
And in the book, I, I talk about reading as a monotask being about 20 minutes long. You can start with 30 seconds, but I would highly recommend starting, you know, always starting with reading on paper. It can be a newspaper, could be a magazine article, could be a book you've read before, and therefore it's a lot easier to read and kind of re-enter the world of reading. Or it could be a new book. Go to the bookstore, you know, and just intuitively pick out something that speaks to you. But give it your full attention. Expect that you might read a few pages, your mind will wander, you may have to go back a little bit, and that's okay. If you give it your full attention, you'll find that your attention will strengthen each time you go back to the book. And if you can build a habit of maybe reading the same time every day or at the same place in your home, it'll start to cue your attention to the fact that like you're, you're focusing, this is what you're doing in this place at this time. It may take a while to figure out what the right routine is for you, but it's definitely worth it. And once you get into that rhythm, you'll find that it's just like an infinite world of discovery and you can use it for learning about you know, your, your work, your, something about your kids, or just being entertained in a way that you haven't been entertained in the last few years. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. 
ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. The next monotask is walking. In the book, you start off, in the chapter, you start off talking about some famous monotasking walkers. Who are some of these guys? Basically, philosophers, thinkers, scientists have used walking throughout history to, to work out their ideas, their thoughts, to just get away from the stress of life even before all this technology and you know, the fast-moving pace of 21st century life. So people like Jean-Jacques Rousseau or Nietzsche, the philosopher, or Socrates, they all walked as a matter of thinking. And that might sound like a multitask to you, and it, it, and it can be. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend walking to go come up with a brilliant idea. But if you put down your work and leave things behind and go out into nature or even the city, go around the block, whatever you have available to you. If you give your full attention to it and pay attention to your walk, like the sounds of your feet, the sounds of nature, the sights that you're seeing, if you resist the temptation to take a picture on your iPhone, things like that, you'll really treat walking as a monotask. And then you can decide to add back later some problem solving that you want to do or some idea will just come to you. Okay. So that's interesting. So walking is one of those tasks that it's, it's easy enough where you could multitask. Uh, you could, again, like think about something or you even talk on the phone or let's do a podcast and you're, you're not against that. You're okay with people listening to a podcast and folding laundry. That's, you think that's fine, but you, it sounds like you, you're encouraging people to every now and then just focus on that, like an easy task, like a, a task as simple as walking. So you can strengthen those monotasking muscles. I think the first step is to strip everything away and get down to one task and identify that as your monotask. And then you can decide to add back, layer on, and occasionally multitask. But it will be within your control because you'll, you will have identified when you're monotasking versus multitasking. And you'll also be strengthening your monotasking muscles so that you can better resist distractions when they pop up out of your control. 
and you'll say, not right now. You know, I'm going to focus on this. When I get it done, I'm going to move on to the next thing. So with monotask walking, that's just, you're not going to be, you're just going to go and you're just going to focus on just the walk. Like what are your, what are your steps? Is it kind of like a meditative practice? Like there's like walking meditations, right? You're just focusing on the steps. How does the air feel around me? What am, is that what it looks like? I think that's a great way to think of it. Yeah. As like a mindfulness or meditative walk and, and to really think about your other senses. So your, your body pretty much knows how to walk. So if you think about your other senses, like sound, hearing, the sounds you're hearing, what you're smelling, what you're seeing. And you know, if you want to touch the trees or the flowers or something, that's fine. But it's basically bringing your attention fully to the walk in order to relax your mind. And I think like people, when you're thinking about something else and doing another thing, so if you're thinking while walking, because it's happening in your own brain, and nobody can see you doing it, it doesn't like necessarily fit the classic definition of multitasking that is visible to everybody. So I think it's good to bring some awareness to that. It's not always a bad thing, but just to acknowledge, you know, I am trying to do two things at a time here. I'm going to choose one. I'm going to give more of my attention to it and see what happens. And I guess a good way to start with that, I think you talk about the book, 20 minutes, again, just like go for a 20-minute walk where all you're focused on is the walk. And I'll repeat the 20 minutes a lot in, in several of the monotasks throughout the book because I think it's a good goal for our attention spans. It, it's really hard. I mean, studies have been done these days that show that a lot of people can't pay attention for more than six seconds. And we have to strengthen that. There's so much every person you know wants to do on this planet whether it's on their to-do list or just having a great relationship with their family or their partner and we have to basically reverse the trend from fragmenting our attention look at this ad look at this notification download this app respond to this click on that like it only will get better and go the opposite direction if we do things like go for a walk for 20 minutes or read a book for 20 minutes and the other monotasks. And it seems like also walking is a great monotask to do when you're switching from one task to the next. Cause it allows you, cause as you said, it, it takes you what, 25 minutes for your brain to shift from one activity to the next. Walking can kind of be like that buffer where you sort of clear. So you, you, you work on one project at work, you're done. I'm going to take a quick 20 minute walk. You come back and your brain's kind of ready to work again. It's like a, a re- it's like it's like a reboot. Absolutely. It's like rebooting your computer. Yeah, I mean it's like if if you acknowledge, "Hey, I'm going to lose that 20 minutes anyway while my brain kind of consolidates this information from the last thing and gets ready for the next thing." It's the perfect time to go for a walk. I often say when you least think you have the time to go for a walk, that's the most important time to go for a walk. Right. So, it will help you with everything else you need to do going forward. You it's not a loss of 20 minutes at all. It's pressing the reset button like you said. So, instead of surfing Reddit or whatever, go for a walk. Yes. Okay. So, another monotask is listening and you explore listening in two ways. Listening to media, so we're talking like music or maybe an audiobook. It seems like one of those tasks that you could do at the same time. It's mindless, simple enough that it's okay to multitask listening to a podcast while doing something else. But despite that, you still encourage people again to like, why don't you just try listening to this song or this album and that's the only thing you're doing? Why is that? So I think it's a good skill to have. And I think nobody else is really 
encouraging people in the world to to do one thing at a time. It's yes, you can do more than one thing at a time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should or that it's good for you. And because listening in that one-way listening example, whereas two-way listening would be more like a conversation. So the one-way listening would be more like a podcast or a university lecture. And if you can develop the ability to pay attention to the whole thing, which is really hard, I completely acknowledge that. I think very few people could actually pay attention to an hour-long class or podcast. And But if you strengthen your ability to pay attention in longer increments, you'll absorb more of the information. You'll spend less time going back and re-listening to it. And then you can apply it again where you need to. So if you are going back to school or getting a graduate degree or something, you know, those are important skills to have. And I have two kids, you know, and I can see what happens to their brains with technology. And I have to wonder, you know, when they progressively go through their education and go to college and everything, like, is their ability to sit in one place, be a little bit bored in a classroom and listen to a lecture, get all the information affected? So I think it's just a good skill for all of us to have to, to strengthen that. And thankfully, like there are all these great podcasts and sources of, of listening out there to practice with every day. No, and I think I have a tendency, my wife has this tendency too, like she'll, she'll listen to a podcast while she's doing uh, a chore, like folding laundry or just cleaning the house. And you know, I've done that too when I've got some other chore, I'll listen to a podcast. And I find that, yeah, on the one hand, it kind of gives you something to do while you're, you know, twiddling away with your hands cleaning. But at the same time, I notice that like I, I miss things in the audio. Like I actually, I have to like, I miss things that I'm listening because I'm focused on this task that I'm doing or the task that I'm multitasking, audio, listening to audio with takes longer because I, I stop and listen to the like, oh, here's this good part in this this episode. And so, you know, cleaning takes longer if I just had been cleaning and not listening to the podcast. And if you think about the cleaning as a monotask, it's not one of the 12 monotasks in my book, <laughs> but you can do anything as a monotask with your full attention and you will be the judge. Like you don't need a research study to tell you, did you do it better? Did you do it faster? You make fewer mistakes. Did you maybe find ways that you enjoyed it that you had kind of numbed out before? And cleaning may not be the best example in terms of discovering amazing new things about yourself. But there are lots of things in this world that I think we've gotten used to multitasking and we, we miss a lot of the details. It's obvious in a podcast, you know, if you gave me a quiz, 20 questions, these came up, were you paying attention? It's not going to be so obvious with cleaning or folding the laundry. But I think there's something to discover in everything we do if we pay attention to it. What about uh, listening to music while you work? I've, I've seen conflicting research on this. And the one has seen research, yes, it can help. Other research says, no, it's actually distracting. You should just uh, put on noise-canceling earphones and just work in complete silence. So different people have a different reaction. Like their brains work differently with different stimuli. Uh, for me, I find you know, music to be really helpful for working out like just changing my mood essentially. And I, I think probably a lot of people can relate to that. Like you want to go high energy, like put on some loud music. Whereas with work, if I really have to think, I can't listen to anything with lyrics. I can sometimes listen to classical music or piano or something like that. And that is helpful. But other times, like I'll just 
now, because I'm so used to thinking as a monotask, I sit down at my desk, I put on my big headphones, and sometimes an hour later, I forget that I never put on any music. It's more just the ritual of here's how I'm going to, where I'm going to be, I'm going to give my full attention to my work and thinking, and the music is, is not really required as part of that. Some people might find that it is required for them to do their best thinking or other work. So another part of listening is that two-way conversation when we're talking talking and listening to people in real life. And this is more effortful and it can it's hard. It can be hard just to listen to somebody. What gets in the way of monotasking to this kind of interpersonal listening? Listening is really challenging. And I think it's when early readers read the book, they said that that was one of the chapters that made the biggest impact on their life. And I think a lot of that is because we've we've built up this expectation that people aren't really going to listen to us completely. And it's surprising to us when they do listen, when they give us their full attention. We kind of expect that someone's going to be scrolling through their social media and just nodding their head, whether they're in person or not. And so why is it hard? I mean, one is because our, start, our, start, uh, our smartphones make it really hard. They're very tempting. You take some of our attention away. Even if we're not using them, like you're thinking about them on the table there. You're wondering if your phone just you know, notified you or rang or whatever, or if your kids might try to reach you or the school, et cetera. So I think there's this expectation that we are going to be distracted. We are going to be interrupted. And it doesn't let us settle into like a 100% listening state. And for the person who's doing the talking, they may not like pay attention even to what they're saying because they're just assuming that the other person's only going to listen to half of what they're saying. So I think another thing that gets in the way is that a lot of times people are multitasking in that they're half listening and half thinking. You're, you're thinking about what you're going to say in response as soon as the person stops finishing talking or you're going to think about how to interrupt them. So I think if you can just l- truly listen and then when it's your turn to talk, monotask that, speaking back to them. And it can just change the cadence of the conversation, the amount that you hear. And I think when people really feel listened to, they feel very valued and you end up having a closer friendship and relationship with them. There are definitely some, you know, just kind of an unlimited number of opportunities that we have in our daily lives to interact with other people and do a better job listening to them. If you really approach it as a monotask, I think you'll you'll see the benefits very quickly. So traveling is a time that a lot of people multitask, but you encourage people to monotask on their commute. What does that look like? So I mentioned you know the prevalence of texting and driving earlier, and and that was originally where the idea for that chapter came from, and just my own like personal public service announcement. <laughs> to be honest, I then broadened it out, and it's called getting there. And the chapter really covers everything from commuting to traveling for pleasure and just how we've, yeah, we, we've become habitually accustomed to multitasking while we travel, whether that's listening to an audiobook while driving or making a phone call or, if, you know, we're taking the train or plane, like doing something else during the time. And if you identify which of those things are truly dangerous, if you're the driver, those go in one bucket. Other things that are just distractions and multitasks that are maybe taking away from your experience of traveling to a foreign country or 
taking a trip you've never been on or making your commute more interesting. Those things are in you know separate bucket. And again, like we've talked about before, it's about kind of unwinding all the multitasks and giving your attention to one thing. So if you gave your attention to the journey, can you notice more things out the window that you've never seen before? Can you plan out a new route to work to make it more interesting? And then you can add the multitasks back. So most people can effectively and safely listen to an audiobook or a podcast on their commute. And that's totally fine. It's just about you know bringing some awareness to it. There's some things that really do stress people out and they'll make mistakes like trying to do their work on the train. You know, it's just too distracting and they end up making mistakes. It takes longer. They get more stressed out like we've talked about. So it can just help kind of give yourself permission to do one thing at a time and figure out whether you're capable of adding other tasks back later. Yeah, I think monotasking traveling is a great way to exercise that muscle. I've, there's been times where I'll just not have the radio on. It's a great time to exercise that, that muscle to not check your phone when you're at a stoplight and just sit there and mm-hmm. just be in the moment. And I've done this every now. I don't know. You didn't advocate this in your book. I've done this when I've been feeling, I don't know. It's because I, I just wanted to try it. Like I've tried monotasking flying on a plane. So just like sitting on the plane <laughs> and not reading or listening to a podcast, I can't last that long because it's the most, it's pretty tedious. So if you're feeling, <laughs> if you really want to exercise those monotasking traveling muscles, try just to sit on an airplane and, <laughs> and look around you. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, it's hard. It leads to boredom, right? So why do we reach for our phones at stoplight or wherever? Like, is it really going to be a life-altering message we have to see or respond to or something? Or are we just bored? And, and are we no longer capable of sitting with that boredom for a few seconds or a few minutes or a few hours on the plane? I think it's okay to be bored. I think we've lost that ability. And before smartphones, we, we had to be bored. We had to like daydream <laughs> or look for something interesting or strike up a conversation with the person next to us. I think those are all good things to do still. So who knows where to lead, but it, it can all start with monotasking. Yeah. So another task you encourage people to monotask is their play, which seems kind of weird. Like people would try to multitask while they're playing. What stops us from monotasking or play? If you've been to a live concert lately. Um, yes. I went to one a couple months. Yeah. A couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know people haven't been going as much in recent years, but because of the pandemic, but in general, if you go like, a lot of people have their phones out and they're taking pictures, capturing video of the show. Other people might be standing there like me. You know, Occasionally, I'll, I'll catch myself if I go see a show thinking about work. What happened that day? What do I need to do tomorrow? That's another form of multitasking. So whether it's taking pictures and not really being present in the moment, enjoying it, or thinking about something else and kind of being stressed while you're supposed to be having fun, if you... You basically give yourself permission again to just immerse yourself in the play. Then you'll be in the present moment. You'll de-stress. You'll have much better time. You'll be connected with the people you're with. And and you'll truly be able to press that reset button again and be more productive the next day or whenever you're done with your play. So this can apply to like going to the gym, going for a bike ride, kicking the ball around in the park, taking your dog for a walk. Anything, if you just do it with your full attention and catch yourself when you're maybe thinking of something else or doing two things at once, scrolling your, your social media feed at the dog park, just, you know, it's totally fine. Like 
acknowledge it, let it go, bring yourself back to the play. And there are huge benefits to that. We all need to play more. No, I've noticed myself multitasking while playing, especially when I'm, when I'm playing with my kids. It's not like I'm doing something in front of them, but like I'm thinking about all the stuff I need to be doing, right? Like all the to-dos around the house. Or I got to call the, this repair person. I've got this thing at work. And I, I've catch myself like, I'm not really playing here. I'm, I'm doing, I'm somewhere else. I'm not actually here with my kid. Yeah. And, you know, our culture, a lot of people on social media, you know, will make it look like they're having this great life full of play and all this stuff. But are, are they really monotasking their play? No, th- those people are thinking about their social media photo post and caption and everything while they're ostensibly playing and they're asking somebody else to take the picture. So we get the sense that, you know, there's this fear of missing out. Everybody else is having this great life. They all have this leisure time and go on these great trips and have these great cars and all that. Those people are just as stressed out or more <laughs> about the next post than, than you are. So the place to be is, is right here, right now. And whether you're doing your work or playing, do it with your full attention. No. Yeah, there's that... That I, someone said, there's some quote about like work when you work, play when you play, and don't focus about anything else. Just because that that'll just lead to it, it. It stresses you out less when you do that when you just focus on one thing at a time. So another monotask is thinking. But like uh, we've talked about, thinking is one of those things you can do. You do all the time, right? Like you can think when you're walking. You can think when you're listening to someone else talk about whatever. You can think when you're listening to a podcast. Why make set set aside dedicated times where the only thing you are doing is thinking? It has a lot to do with the fact that as human beings, we have these amazing capabilities to to think and use our brains to do everything in life. But do we take it for granted sometimes that we're just going to think in the background or that we can think of multiple things at once? Like, how, what if we really could harness our capabilities, our cognitive abilities to do our work, to problem solve, to you know, just build everything, do everything better in life, really. And a lot of times, you know, I'm, I can be an overthinker. And so thinking, the thinking monotask is not necessarily like fixate your brain on one thing and do it. It's more just bring your full attention, your full presence to when you are thinking and when you need to think in order to do the best work possible and to live life really well. And sometimes you have to go for a walk or go play in order for that creative idea to pop into your head. So it's not always going to come from giving 100% of your attention to thinking. I think people can relate to that. And creatives, like you, you don't always have your best idea when you're trying to come up with your best idea. It'll pop into your mind in a dream or in the shower. And, and I think monotasking in general is not just about the task that you're doing. It's about monotasking around that task. So if you figure out, you know, I do my best work when I go for a bike ride. I come up with my best creative ideas. Or I get, I, you know, going on trips really inspires me to bring back ideas at home to put to work. If you monotask around that, you observe yourself, and when you do your best thinking, then you can do a better job when you actually do sit down at your desk or wherever you decide to do your deep work to, to you know, quote, reference the Cal Newport book again. Well, Thatcher, this has been a great conversation. Is there some place people can go to learn more about the book and your work? So I created a website that's basically a companion 
to the book, The 12 Monotasks. So if you go to monotasking.tips, T-I-P-S, the website ends in tips, not .com, you can order the book from there. You can basically find all the local bookstores that sell it. It's available on Amazon as well. The book is called The 12 Monotasks, Do One Thing at a Time to Do Everything Better. And I'm reachable through the website and through my own site, thatcherwine.com, and also through juniperbooks.com. Fantastic. Well, Thatcher Wine, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation. My guest was Thatcher Wine. He's the author of the book, The 12 Monotask. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about the book at his website, monotasking.tips. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash monotask. We find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AWIM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanlist.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AWIM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLIST at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AWIM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you'd think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay. Reminding you to listen to the podcast, but put what you've heard into action. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.